Psalm 72. We'll read the psalm in its entirety. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your peoples with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor in him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your holy and sacred word. And we turn to you, O Lord, this morning that you would teach us and guide us lead us uh, by way of your word, that, Lord, you'd be pleased to work in our hearts by way of your Holy Spirit, not simply to instruct us, not simply to guide us, but to change us, to make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, change us, we pray, in his precious name. Amen. This morning we come to part three of our series. It's hard to believe already, isn't it? Part three. There's only four. <laughs> I hope you're all ready for Christmas because it's a coming, it's a coming. We're at part three of our series called entitled Christmas in the Psalms. And the theme of our series has been joy in Christ. And there's one thing to always keep in mind concerning joy. If you're, if you're, if you want to experience joy, you can't experience joy by trying to experience joy. I don't know if you've ever picked up on that. Um, joy is a byproduct. It really is. It's a product uh, 
of God working in a life, the joy that I'm speaking of, the only joy that, that I'm interested in is the true biblical joy, not the world's counterfeit, but the true biblical joy of which the Psalter speaks of everywhere. This type of joy is only available as God works in our hearts by way of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. That's the only source of this. That's the only place where this comes from. But we can be encouraged this morning because we often experience joy as we seek Jesus in His Word. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to seek Christ in Psalm 72. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, I, I pray that, uh, uh, that God may have wonderful things for each one of us this morning. Now, my approach this morning will be simply to explain the psalm. And then uh, after that, to begin to take a look at what the psalm is pointing to. And then from there, make some application as it speaks to uh, us in this holiday season. So in short, we're going to look at really what the psalm is, what it points to, and what it says to us as we seek to renew our faith in Christ this morning. That would be... Uh, uh, fairly simple. So before we begin diving right into the explanation, I want to take a couple of minutes to show you some things about the structure uh, of the Psalter. If you will look with me at verses 18 and 19. See the words in verse 18, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. Okay, these words, these, this type of expression is often described with the word doxology. Probably many of you have heard the word doxology. Uh, doxology is a word of praise. It's, a, it's a, one of those words, you have kind of two Greek words stuffed together. Doxa, which is the word for glory. And the ology which comes from logos, which is really means a word. So what we have here is a word about glory or a word of glory. Uh, we typically don't bring that into the English language that way. We just say a word of praise. That's a doxology. It's a utter, an utterance or word of praise. Now, with all that in mind, I'm going to read three verses to you. And hold that in mind as you hear these verses. The first one is from Psalm 41 and verse 13. You don't need to worry about turning there. I'd rather you listen. Psalm 41, verse 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, all men and all men. The next one comes from Psalm 89, verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever, all men and all men. And the third one is from Psalm 106 and verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. Now, I realize this is kind of difficult. You're trying to fix your mind on these words as they're read. It's a, it's a little bit difficult. But I'm quite confident that you saw that there's a lot of continuity between these verses. You can, you can hear, they're all utterances of praise, aren't they? doxology, if you will. And the reason I point your attention to it is because if you look at the end of Psalm 72 in your Bibles, you probably will see most translations will have book three written. And then comes Psalm 73. And I'm pointing your attention to this because the Psalter is actually divided into five books. 
and is divided by virtue of these utterances of praise, if you will, these utterances of glory. Now, all of this to say, what's this have to do with Psalm 72 this morning? I want us to see that verses 18, 19, and we're going to see verse 20, they speak a little bit beyond Psalm 72. In other words, the arms of those verses reach out a little further than simply Psalm 72. Now, if we take a look at verse 20, you see the prayers of David are ended. If you've ever read this, this, this prayer, if you've ever read this psalm, you might have thought to yourself, that seems like it doesn't fit in Psalm 72. I don't know if anyone's ever had that experience. What's, what's that verse doing here? It doesn't seem like it fits. The prayers of David are ended. What are we to make of that verse? What does that mean? Does that mean that, okay, all of the psalms written by David are now finished and the, the rest of the Psalter is going to be written by someone else? Is that what it means? Well, we have to say no to that because if you start flipping through the rest of the, of the Psalter and you begin looking at the titles, you're going to discover that there are 18 more psalms written by David. Okay, well, out with that. And if you go to the left... And you go backwards, you're going to find that not all the Psalms that have come up to Psalm 72 have been written by David. Okay. So what does it mean? Well, the best explanation that I have ever heard for it is that Psalm 20, or verse 20 rather, is marking the end of an early group of Psalms that existed before the entire Psalter was complete. And I want to call your attention to this because these three verses that we have here, 18, 19, and 20, are pointing to Psalm 72. The Holy Spirit has placed them there for a purpose. But they're speaking further back than simply Psalm 72. Um, now, let's, let's dig in a little bit. We've looked at the very end. Let's go look at the very beginning and then we'll kind of look in between. Uh, if you look at the title of the psalm, which you'll find uh, just above verse 1, uh, most of, for most of you, the title will read, Of Solomon. Unless uh, there's someone here with a King James translation open. Uh, if you have that open, it's going to read, For Solomon. So some of the titles will read, Of Solomon. Some read, For Solomon. Uh, the reason is the, the Hebrew can be trans, really translated either way. If it's, if it's rendered of Solomon, then Solomon wrote the psalm. Simple enough. If it's translated for Solomon, then someone else wrote the psalm and gave it to Solomon. You know, there's the difference. Now, this is not a showstopper, whatever way we, we end up landing here. But I call it to your attention because a lot of the old commentators, uh, they, they believed that, uh, that this composition was written uh, by David uh, for his son Solomon. And in fact, some even believe that David wrote this psalm while he was on his deathbed, near his death. And he wrote it for Solomon. Uh, the translators of the King James translation seem to have had that in mind as they made the decision to go uh, for instead of of. Now, it doesn't necessarily matter whether we, uh, how we, we come down on this. Um, I just point your attention to it. I, I really, I, I believe that, that 
that Solomon wrote this psalm. But however we, we come down on it, it doesn't really matter. What's really important here and why I'm developing this is as we seek to discover what Psalm 72 is. It's a prayer for the king. And what is significant about this is it's not just simply a prayer for any king. It's a prayer for the Davidic king, if you will. Uh, if you're not familiar with 2 Samuel chapter 7, write that in your bulletin, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and become familiar with it, especially verses 12 and 16, because these verses are so very important in understanding what God is doing. Uh, verse 12 reads this way, and God is speaking to David, and he makes this promise to David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And then in verse 16, he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, what is going on here? If you were King David, your legs would have probably gotten weak on this one. What God is promising David is that one of his sons will be enthroned upon his throne. And furthermore, he's promising that one of them will reign for all eternity. Could you imagine hearing that? I think my legs would have been weak on that one. What an incredible promise. So here we see this psalm. It's a prayer for the king, but more specifically, it's a prayer for the king that God has promised to put on the throne of David. Now, we, we can see why uh, David may have wrote this psalm. Maybe David did write this psalm on his deathbed. There, there's no doubt that David prayed for Solomon. I mean, with, with, with that promise that God has made in mind and realizing that Solomon is going to be the next king, Solomon, the son of David, I mean, you could almost wonder what's going on in David's mind. Is Solomon, is my son Solomon, is he going to be the one who will endure forever? I don't know how much David knew. Maybe he knew much more than that. I don't know. What I do know is this is a prayer for the king, the king whom God has promised to put on his throne. And we can equally see why Solomon may have wrote it. He, 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 I, I'm actually inclined to believe that Solomon is the author of this song, that he did write this. And the reason for that is because all these titles, they're almost always, I think, I haven't looked to be sure, but I think every one of them is, is translated of the person, of Asaph of the sons of Korah, of Moses, of David. I'm inclined to believe that this title should be of Solomon as well. So perhaps Solomon is writing this. Either way, it doesn't make that much of a difference. Now, the psalm is too long to go into every detail of every verse, so I'm gonna, we're going to be a little bit selective. But I want you to look with me to verse 1, and you're going to see the overarching theme in this psalm in verse 1. The king prays, to God, give the king your justice, O God, in your righteousness, 
to the royal son. And this twin theme of righteousness and justice is the overarching theme here. You know, a kingdom can be measured by the integrity of its justice and righteousness. Let me flesh that out for you a little bit. Imagine a president. I think it's maybe easier for us to imagine a president than a king, but imagine a president or a king who was just and righteous. Unquestionably so. This king or this president is just and righteous. And while we're at it, um, let's imagine a president or king who followed after God with his whole heart and soul. Imagine a president or king who never lies. And please don't think I'm getting political here. I'm not getting political. Those of you who know me know I'm not getting political. When I'm on the stump, it's for Jesus. I'm not getting political here. But one thing I do want to say, that it is a travesty that I don't know a single person who really expects the one who is in the highest office of this land to tell the truth. Quite frankly, I think most of us would be overjoyed, whether we're in the church or out of the church, to hear someone come and give a State of the Union address that needed no fact-checked afterwards. Imagine a king who's righteous and just. Imagine a president or king who defends the cause of the poor and delivers the needy without bringing harm to them, without harming them. Well, we could go on for a long time. How about with this last one? Imagine a president or king who prayed for all of the above. Imagine a president or king who was on his knees praying for these things. Well, that's what Solomon is doing. I I think Solomon wrote this psalm. If he didn't write this psalm, uh, David wrote it for him. Either way, he's praying. He's on his knees. What is he on his knees for? Look at verse 2. His prayer is to be enabled to judge the people with righteousness and the poor with justice. See those threads? They're going to go all through the psalm. Righteousness, justice. In verse 4, his prayers be enabled to defend the cause of the poor of the people who are often very oppressed. His prayer is to give deliverance to the children of the needy and and to crush the oppressor. And I think verse 6 is perhaps the most beautiful verse in this entire prayer. May he, that is the Davidic king, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. You know, the grass becomes more vulnerable to the heat and the sun once it's cut. Most of us know that. Uh, That's why uh, many folks will raise the deck on your lawnmower in, in July and August. If you want your grass to look a little greener, If you hate the grass, uh, you'll leave it where it is so that it dies and you don't have to cut it much. But either way, uh, we realized that during that season, of course, this past year, it didn't matter what we did to the grass, it wouldn't stop. But when grass is cut, it's more vulnerable to the sun, it's more vulnerable to changes in in humidity, changes in in rainfall. Um, And 
really, uh, you know, uh, without the, the, the rain, the, the earth, it becomes dry and parched. You know, so far this year, we've been really fortunate that it has not gotten really, really cold. Uh, but it's, it's inevitable. It's going to be here before we know it. And when, the, when it gets really cold and it gets really dry, what happens to your lips? They parch and they crack. And if you're like me, I mean, my hands are getting so bad that they crack even in the summertime when it's 90% humidity out there. I have to wear gloves when I do almost anything these days. But uh, soon we're going to be wrestling with these things because it's going to get very cold and it's going to get very dry. Now, listen to, the, listen to this prayer again. This prayer is, May the Davidic king be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. Soothing, moisturizing, strengthening, nourishing. And what is the context again? It's righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. What happens when there's no righteousness and there's no justice? What happens is wickedness and corruption. It's like turning out the lights. When you turn out the lights, what happens? It gets dark. You turn off righteousness and justice, what happens? It gets dark. And when it gets dark, what happens? Poverty. Poverty and decay. As I was thinking this through earlier this week, I, I, could, I just couldn't help but to think of, of our cities in this nation. When there's no righteousness or very little righteousness and very little justice, what happens? Wickedness and corruption. And when there's wickedness and corruption, what happens? Poverty and decay. I was thinking a lot about East Liverpool because we... We work so hard to try to minister to folks in East Liverpool, folks in Newell and Chester and our tri-state communities. And some of you are old enough to remember, and I'm not trying to point any attention to that, but some of you are old enough to remember that East Liverpool was quite the place uh, not all that long ago, was it? I told a youngster the other day a little bit about what East Liverpool used to be like, and uh, this 19-year-old a uh, young woman couldn't even believe what I was telling her. In the late 80s, I worked for an old-timer that lived, grew up and lived in Beaver Falls most of his life, and he said that back in the 50s and the 60s, East Liverpool was the shopping mecca of the Ohio Valley. People traveled from all over the place to shop in East Liverpool. It was the Point or the Robinson Town Center or even the Strip District, if you will, of the area, of the valley. A friend of mine told me the other day that, that there used to be a high-end, a high-end hat shop in the East End. Now, I'm not an expert in business, but I do know a little bit about it. I don't recommend that you put in a high-end hat shop in the East End. <laughs> don't, that wouldn't be wise to do. I, I, I couldn't imagine a high-end anything going on in the East End. I mean no disrespect to the East End. 
Tammy and I spent a lot of time ministering to the, to the families in East Dan. I love the people of this area. I mean, no disrespect. But what has happened? What is happening? In the wake, or in the absence, or in the vacancy of righteousness and justice comes wickedness and corruption. And the fruit of those is poverty and decay. If we, if we go back to verse 6, it would be fun to do just for a moment as we think about the Davidic king who will come and, and, and righteousness and justice. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. What does East Liverpool need? It needs righteousness. And it needs justice. That's what it needs. It's not that hard. We could say a lot more about this. I think we're getting a drift of it. What is Psalm 72? It's a prayer for the king whom God will put on the throne of David. Let's look at what Psalm 72 is pointing at. Well, obviously it's pointing to King Solomon. And for that matter, it's pointing to his successors. Now, if you know anything about the history of Israel, if you've read any of the history books, even just one time quickly through, uh, you'll realize this much, that uh, under King Solomon, Israel is really at its peak. And there are some exceptions. There's some, some fine exceptions to this, but for the most part, Israel is on a downhill fall from this point on. So this is a prayer for the Davidic uh, earthly king, if you will. But there are matters in this psalm that cannot be applied to Solomon. For example, look at verses 5 through 7, if you will. Notice it's a prayer for longevity. Verse 7, in his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till what? The moon be no more. I don't think many of us are going to outlive the moon. Uh, I'm not sure how old we'd be if we tried. Um, that'd be a long time. No earthly king can outlive the moon. And if we look at verses 8 to 11, where prayer is offered for the extension of the, of the kingdom, if you will, verse 8 May this king have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And verse 11, May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. Israel was at its peak under the leadership of King Solomon, yet its, its kingdom never extended to the entire earth. Nor did all nations bow down to King Solomon. So it's obvious that Psalm 72 is pointing beyond Solomon. And I think we know who uh, Psalm 72 is pointing to. But let's see it from the psalm itself. Look with me to verse 9. This is an interesting little verse. May the desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Here's what one of the church fathers writes concerning verse 9. He says, They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, etc., etc. He's pointing back to verse 9. He says that it's equivalent to saying the wild Arabs that the greatest conquerors could never tame shall bow before him or become his vassals. What an interesting comment. The, the Middle East has always been a wild and violent place. Assyria tried to subdue it and failed. Babylon tried to subdue it and failed. 
Persia came along and tried to subdue it and failed. Alexander the Great, he came by, tried to subdue it. Did he subdue it? No, he failed. His successor generals, they failed. About Rome, there were always conflicts, always fights, always battles. And the United States thinks they're going to do it. We think we're going to do it. The place is it's wild even now as we speak. It's tumultuous. You watch the news, you see how tumultuous it is. When Jesus is ready, when Jesus is ready, every knee is going to bow. Everyone. Here's another one. We picked this one up from the doxology that we looked at just a little bit ago. Verses 18 and 19. Namely verse 19. If you look there with me. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. This, this verse is speaking of God's glory here. And God will share His glory with who? No one. This is obviously pointing to someone else other than the earthly king. It's pointing to him who is fully human and fully God. Christ is the king whose glory will fill the entire earth. How absolutely wonderful. Uh, so much more could be said. I hate to stop, but we, we need time for our last point here. How does all of this apply to this holiday season as we seek to renew our faith? I think we're already making the connections. I hope we are by now. But let's say a, a couple of things. A, a kingdom can be measured by its integrity of its justice and righteousness. I mean, I, I think we see that. I think we, I think we embrace that. Well, let's imagine how happy we'd be if we were under a king in a kingdom where righteousness and justice prevailed. Oh, how happy we'd be, especially having lived in the opposite. How happy would we be living under the king who is sinless? Jesus is without sin. Imagine how blessed we'd be under a king who told the truth. If he were to give us a state of the kingdom address, if you will, there'd be no reason for a fact check. We would just sit in awe, would we not? How happy we'd be. It's impossible for Jesus to lie. Imagine how blessed we'd be under a king who followed after the Father with his whole heart and soul. His mind and strength. This, this Jesus does every moment and every second of the day. Imagine how happy our society would be under a king who defended the cause of the poor and the needy without bringing any harm to them. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? How about this one? This is maybe the hardest one to imagine. How happy would we be 
under a king that loved each one of us so much that he would give his life for us so that we could be washed whiter than snow and be made as pure as the holy angels. Earthly kings don't do that. The divine king did. He did just that. As we think about how happy we would be in this, king, in this kingdom, under this king, we can begin to think about how miserable, miserable we would be apart from him and how miserable it would be to be outside. Friends, this is where the mass majority of our culture is. Where it is believed that our happiness is really consists in being completely independent of all restraint. If you have yet to surrender your heart to the Lordship of Christ, if you've yet to come to Him in repentance, don't expect joy. It would be a really unloving thing for Him to make you joyous. Because then you're going to be all the more content to stay there. God had to make me really miserable to wake me up. I was really miserable. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. As I look back, I wasn't miserable enough. It's because His hands are so loving. They're so kind. Now the Scriptures teach us that true happiness and blessedness consists in submission and surrender to a king. And that king is Jesus. You know, it's interesting as we think about, as we think about maybe our former life as unbelievers, if you've been called in adulthood like I have, or as we think about society, thinking that our happiness is, is best found in restraint. It's interesting that folks still look to government to solve all their problems. Have you ever noticed that? They're looking to government to solve all their problems. You know, God's kind of wired us up that way. I'd submit to you that we're, we're supposed to look to government to solve all of our problems. The problem is we're always looking at the wrong government. Let's look to the kingdom of God. And namely, to the king of that kingdom. I think we can see where joy can be found, can't we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, we praise you for this great kingdom. For one of the first things you proclaimed as you set out on your earthly ministry was repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we thank you, O Lord, for bringing this great kingdom to us and for grafting us into it, O Lord. And we pray, O Lord, that you'll give us fresh eyes to see uh, our heavenly King this morning, and you'll give us fresh ears to hear his lovely voice. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
invite you to stand with us as we sing our final song.